So what I would like you to do is I would like you to think of something you are definitely right about. Go ahead. Just don't, no talking. We don't need to talk about this. Pretty locked in that you're right about it. And, and there's no changing your mind. How many of it, it was the Warriors are going to win the championship this year? Anybody? That, one's, that was an easy one. Okay. Um, how many of you are always right when you're in a friendly discussion with your spouse who holds the opposing view? Go ahead, raise your hand. Go ahead. Okay, we'll be doing counseling later for all of you uh, this week. Uh, it's so hard when you know you're right, isn't it? Oh my goodness. And it's so hard to try to help those poor people who just don't get it on the other side of the argument. And you're like, why can't they get it? We, we are stuck in um, the world of limited data. And when I have three teenagers and seven people on my phone plan, we are out of data within seven days. And I got another, it seems like an eternity, where I'm on slow data. There's no point to it. It wouldn't do anything. I would die before the rescue services would show up. Um, so I go in, you know, a week ago to try to find out, okay, what do we have to do to, to switch all this up? And had a plan. So I call. And this guy's talking about like, and, and you know, I'm like, just slow down, okay? Just slow down. And, and here's the reality is that, you know, there's a date. There's a special date. I know this. I know this to be true. There is a special date that if we go ahead and change our plan on that day, then we don't incur all these other fees and charges because of this overlap and all these things and the moon's aligning and the eclipse and all that stuff, Right? And this guy starts going on, and, and he's talking, and I'm like, finally I just said, look, I'm a pretty smart guy. I have no idea what you are saying. I just, and he's like, no, no, sir, I'm sure it's me. I'm sure it's me. And I'm like, I love customer service training. <laughs> Isn't it great? Customer's always right. And for a moment, I was like, oh, I'm going to note this. I'm going to just like, no, and then I'm like, no, 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 no. And so, seriously, I was on the phone with this guy for 15, 20 minutes, and I still couldn't figure out what he was saying. So I just went in and, you know, sat with um, the, the real customer rep and we talked through it and, and we got it all figured out. But it's just challenging when you're facing a discussion. And sometimes when it's a very poignant and life-changing discussion, something that really fits within your conviction of life, and the opposing view comes along and wants you to acquiesce there's a good word right kind of wants you to buy in just for the sake of buying in and and that rubs us the wrong way because we have convictions we're people of principle right people of character are people of principle and we hold to our convictions and so therefore i'm right there was a young man in jerusalem named saul who just lived ate and and breathed that attitude i'm right and I'm going to make a name for myself because I'm so right. This morning, our question is, and you can pull out your sermon notes, how hard is it to believe? And for those that have already placed their faith in Jesus Christ 
and, and you're sitting here today, I want you to think just briefly, how hard was it for me to get to that point? And maybe there are days in your life where you know how this is supposed to work, and it just doesn't seem to be working like that. And that particular day, or maybe that week, it's kind of hard to believe. Because your reality isn't matching up with what your expectation of God is. Can I just tell you, in those moments, God has not changed, okay? He hasn't changed. In somewhere in the mix of that, there needs to be a realignment into God's will and His understanding, and patience is required. And I hate to say this, but sometimes there's suffering required for growth, isn't there? But dealing with this whole thing of being right all the time, it's such a it's such a pressure. I live it daily, having to be right all the time. So we have five areas this morning that I'm going to help us look at this idea of why it's so hard to believe. All right? There's probably a myriad of different other reasons why it's hard to believe, but I'm going to narrow it down to five, and I'm right with these five, okay? So just get over it. The first one this morning is justification is in the eyes of the beholder, and that's going to be verses one and two. We're in chapter nine, of Acts this morning. Um, second part is epiphanies change stubborn thinking. What is an epiphany? It is, it is this experience with God, and, and most of the time it, it, it has to do with some kind of a physical manifestation like we'll see today in the story with Saul. Epiphanies, but, but it can be open to this understanding of having this, this interaction, this spiritual interaction uh, where the presence of the Spirit is there uh, in some shape or form, okay? Selective vision isn't random with God. It just isn't. And, and we'll see how that works into the story as well. Unmitigated suffering has a far reach. Unmitigated suffering has a far reach, and then we finish today with serving takes courage. Let's start with the first point today. Justification is in the eyes of the beholder. Let's pick this up this morning, and before I get into it, let me just say, that Chris's story fits so perfectly with the preceding 12 verses. Does anybody remember where we were last week? First of all, uh, there's persecution in Jerusalem because of this young man we're going to read about today. He is zealous. That's a word we don't use today. What's that mean? Passionate, driven. We use those words. All right? He's ambitious, to say the least, to make a name for himself. And so... In the preceding chapter, chapter 8 and chapter 7 of Acts, we see the stoning and killing of Stephen. Saul was there. Saul approved of the killing of Stephen. After that, because nothing happened as a consequence, he feels emboldened, and so now his whole purpose is to persecute the church. And so he goes about going house to house, dragging Christians, dragging new believers out of those homes and throwing them in jail. There is a persecution. Does that sound like, and we do this often, a comparative analysis to today? Do you know in, the, in, in Canada now that if you as a Christian, all right, specifically a Christian was targeted on this, that as a Christian, if, if you do not, um, if, if you choose not to, teach your children about transgenderism, your children can be taken from you by the, by the state. And it's happened. It's happened. And it's going to continue, and it's going to continue, and it's going to continue because there is an effort, an all-out war, just like Saul. Just, nothing has changed. Just like Saul. The players have changed. 
but the persecution has not. There's an all-out effort against the cause of Christ. And that's what Saul was motivated about. And so one of the other uh, seven, Philip, goes into an area he shouldn't be going into. There's no reason for him to escape down into Samaria. And yet God uses him mightily with what? Signs and wonders, right? And people believed. And the amazing thing about that is, is that he used signs and wonders. Okay, we get that. That's this big manifestation. But then God says, I've got this guy. He's in a chariot. He's an Ethiopian. And he's traveling. And I'm going to ask you to leave what you're doing here and just go out for this one guy out in the desert. And so here's this rich Ethiopian guy, a, a leader in the treasury of Ethiopia. And he's got his own Uber chariot, right? And, and we know this guy had something going on because he's not even driving the chariot. He's sitting in the chariot reading a scroll of Isaiah. And he's got these questions. He's reading, listen to this, right? Samaria, signs and wonders. Boom, big stuff, right? Day of Pentecost, boom, big stuff, right? There's a guy just riding in a chariot, reading a scroll, and he's like, I, I just don't fully understand this, but I want to understand it. And so God takes a guy like Philip, pulls him out of the signs and wonders, pulls him out of all the big array of stuff, the big time stuff, right? And he runs him out into the desert and has him run next to the chariot and, and ask a simple question. Hey, uh, Ethiopian, eunuch, do you have any dumb questions about the book of Isaiah? Uh, yeah, as a matter of fact, I do. And all that happens in that moment is Philip answers the questions that this guy has. He says, how can I understand this unless somebody tells me? Does that sound familiar to what happened for Chris? Just reading the scroll and the power of the Word of God having a tremendous effect. And it was happening all over. And so Saul has a bender going on. He is, he is bent to destroy the church. And so let's pick it up in Acts 9. It says this, but, Stahl's, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, which is the word for the church then, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. This is how passionate he was. Damascus is about 150 miles from where he is. And, and folks, you don't have metro. <laughs> you don't have plane service. There's not even a train. Um, you're pretty much hoofing it, which means either you're on a horse or you're walking. He's going to walk 150 miles there, 150 miles back. And that's how passion was because he heard some of the Christians escaped as far as Damascus. I'm going to go get every last one of them. I'm going to, I'm going to bind them and I'm going to get a letter from the high priest for authority to do this. And I'm going to bring them back here because I am not going to let this message go forth. See, Saul was right, wasn't he? Have you ever met that person? That they are so right and they are so determined that they are right that they are going to go to extremes to live out their passion. He was justified in his own thinking. He was justified in the eyes of himself. Why is it hard to believe? You start there. You start there. 
I don't need Jesus. Why would I need Jesus? I'm doing fine. I'm justified in my own thinking, in my own life, in my own way. And I like my system. It works. And so this is one of the first reasons it's hard to believe. Paul believed he was doing the right thing. You know, that's the funny thing about being right, right? Is you believe you're doing the right thing. Can I just encourage you, as you share that gospel, or as you may be sitting here today and you're not yet there, just understand, this is the first challenge. Is that we all sit in this this mind scope of, of saying that I'm right. And that's where Saul was. I'm right. I'm right, and these guys are ruining what is good. So I'm going to shut them down. He didn't see himself as a murderer. He didn't see himself as a persecutor. He didn't see himself as a destroyer. He justified all of that action because he was, in his mind, zealous for God. Isn't that amazing? I think we have to look at this idea when we start to deal with ourselves or we start to try to share Christ with others we have to start looking at the understanding that each person feels verified in their own convictions. All right? How about your worldview? How does your worldview hold up? This is the start of any question of belief. So as you're engaging, either it's yourself and maybe you're trying to think of, you know, why would I need Christ? Or maybe it's someone that you're talking with. I encourage you to think about these questions. Number one, why do I need change? Right? So every person feels verified in their convictions. Ask this question, why would I change? That's a legitimate thought process, isn't it? And as you're trying to ask yourself that question, you think about what Chris gave as a testimony, or maybe you're trying to share the gospel with somebody, you have to start here because everybody feels justified in their own mind that they're right. Now there's an answer to that, and there's a way to deal with it. So let's get to the second point today. Epiphanies change stubborn thinking. Let's continue on in the Scripture, verses 3-6. through six. Let's look real quickly. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. Now we'll, ex- we'll see a little bit more to this conversation in a minute. Paul changes his thinking through an undeniable encounter. Okay? Paul's justified in his own eyes just like we are in many of the things that we do. But sometimes a truth comes along and just broadsides us. It stops us in our track. And when Jesus comes and reveals Himself, like He has done in some of your lives, it can be a Damascus Road experience like this, or it can be sitting in a chariot reading the Word of God. Either way, it's an epiphany. It is an experience with the Lord. He just chooses how He's going to do that revealing. Paul's situation happens for some people because why? Because of their stubborn thinking. Epiphanies change stubborn thinking. This was Paul's unique encounter. And for, again, some, there has to be that kind of a connection. I'm going to call on my brother Hanny. 
Um, my understanding is, Hanny, in, in, the, um, in the Arabic world, there's so much going on there. And we're going to be having a service coming up, folks, uh, somewhere here in August, I'm hoping, um, where you're going to hear a lot of this. We, we did it last summer as well. But, Hanny, what is happening, whether it's in Egypt, whether it's in Iraq, wherever, where Muslims are having an interaction, an epiphany with Christ and their coming Lord. Is that happening? Every single day. And, and you said something interesting to me yesterday by Brother Andrew, um, the gentleman who preached here last summer. He believes that that is happening because why? Because Muslims are reaching out to Muslims. Isn't that nuts? Muslims are reaching out to Muslims right now. And really the tail end of that, what Hanny explained to me is, because the Christians aren't passionate enough about it like Saul was. So, you know what? Whether or not we're in the game, God's going to make it happen. So sometimes a Damascus Road experience has to happen to change some stubborn thinking. It had to happen for Paul. This was Paul's unique encounter. Jesus tells Paul he's attacking him personally. This is fascinating. This is fascinating. We have this Scripture up over here. Whatever you've done to the least of the brothers of mine, whatever you've done, whatever you did for the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. That was easy for me to say. It's on an angle. We see that on a blessing level. As Jesus in His own words is saying what? When you give water, when you give food, food, when you give clothing, you've done this for me. And the disciples respond, when did we do this for you? And He says, when you've done it for the least of these, you've done it for me. Or you've done it to me. In the same way now, Jesus has this incredible epiphany encounter with Saul because this is what stubbornness requires for Saul to come to the truth. Because Saul's right. And what does Jesus say? Stop! You're hurting me. You're hurting me. When you are persecuting, when you are hurting those around me, you are hurting me. What is something that we can take from this right now? When we as the church treat the church horribly, how do you think Jesus feels? When the writer of Hebrews says we have an advocate with the Father who has walked before us, who understands the pain we go through. This is what we can learn. Is that as Saul was persecuting the church, Jesus says, you're hurting me, Saul. And Saul says, who are you? He says, I'm Jesus. I'm Jesus. Jesus speaks in Aramaic. It's interesting what is said here. And uh, let me take you there right now. Turn, if you will, to Acts 26. There's three sections in Acts that we're going to see where Paul talks about this encounter. And so now he's before King Agrippa and he's giving testimony to what happened uh, in his own life. He says this starting in verse 12 of 26. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. All right, sounds like exactly what we read, right? At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun. So get this understanding, it's midday. The sun is in, in the top of its apex. And there's a light that even in the light, 
This is how brilliant Jesus is. This is how brilliant the, the, the star, the, 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 the emanation of who Christ is when He reveals His glory. It is brighter than daylight. And so Saul is, or Paul at this point, he changes his name to Paul after this conversion on the Damascus Road. And he says what? He says, brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. That's very, very important that you pay attention to that. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language. Now this is where it's important to do a, have a, a, a capability to do some more in-depth understanding. On a cursory reading of that in my ESV, I'm looking at it and I'm saying, wow, that's kind of cool. Jesus spoke Hebrew, right? You know, how many knew that the language of God was Hebrew? Okay, well, that, that's not that far-reaching, Jeremy. And, and, but there was something there, and I'm like, well, wait a minute. And so then I kept looking, and I kept looking. It's not Hebrew. It was the language that the Hebrews were using at that time that was their common language. What was kind of the common language of that area? It was Koine Greek. Or Latin, if you were from Rome. Aramaic wasn't spoken that much except amongst the Jews. And so Jesus chose to speak in Aramaic. And why is this brought up? This is one of those anomalies that when you're, when you're doing study, you look at and you say, why is this here? Why would Paul take the time to make mention of it? Have you ever been somewhere like here on a Friday night and you're surrounded by a bunch of beautiful people that speak Arabic and you're sitting there and they come up and they approach you and you're just praying to yourself, oh, I know, hope they know English. Because I know one word in Arabic and I butcher it all the time. I really hope they know English. You see, Saul saw Jesus speak to him not in an in a erudite language, not the language of the officials, but the language that spoke to the heart of the Hebrew. And that meant something. You see, Jesus shines brighter than even the sun. And he sends a message, Saul, why are you hurting me? But he comes with a personal message. You know, for each of us, it was a personal message. For Jess, it was a personal message. For Chris, a personal message. It was delivered in a personal way that connects you with Jesus Christ. It's not a cold worship of something that has no attentive sense of who you are, no connective, independent understanding of who you are, it is the ultimate in relationship, and he reveals himself over and over in those ways. And this is just one of those ways. Never assume anyone is beyond change. How many of you think that the early church would have said, oh, let's just go speak to Saul. I think the power of the gospel will just change his heart. Right? How many of Peter, right, Mr. Impulsive, no, man, I think I can reason with this guy. I think I could do it. I think I could do it. I could just see Peter saying this, right? Come on. I, I, 5,000 in one afternoon. Surely I can do it with this guy. We have no record of anybody wanting to go win the day with that guy. Instead, I'm sure the saints were praying. I'm sure the saints were praying. Can I just encourage you, never assume that anyone is beyond change. Ever. There's a thing called irresistible grace. That's a phrase that we use in systematic theology in Reformed theology, it simply means this, that when God wants to come and get a hold of you, and He really reveals Himself to you, it's undeniable. 
there was no greater enemy to Jesus Christ at that time than Saul. And Jesus said, enough is enough. I'm going to show myself to you. And what happened? Saul's heart knew all of a sudden, in a moment, it was not right. And repented, and he was baptized. And we'll see more about that in just a minute. Can I just encourage you, if there are those in your life that you desperately see struggling, struggling in the darkness, they don't know the gospel yet, they haven't tasted in that relationship of Jesus, and you've been praying a long time, don't give up. Don't give up. Understand that if Saul, who knew he was right, that God at any time can choose to reveal himself. Epiphanies change stubborn thinking. Next, in looking at all of this, selective vision isn't random with God. Let's look at verses 7-9. through nine. Back in chapter 9, okay? Let's get back to chapter 9. 7-9. through nine. Again, selective vision isn't random with God. It says this, The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, neither ate nor drank. Now there are men traveling with Saul. They fall to the ground. They see the light. They hear the voice, but they do not know it's Jesus. It implies, it's not specific, but it implies that only, only Saul understood the very words of Jesus Christ. Because it was a message for Saul at that time. Now here's the amazing thing. Some of you can go through an incredible experience, have that epiphany, and there be people around you, and you're like, how come they didn't get it? Am I weird? Did I just have some kind of emotional breakdown? You know, did, did my Prozac go down? What happened? And you start looking and evaluating yourself. Just relax. That's how God works. Is He has a pivot. And there may be those around you that see the same thing happen, but the message never reaches them. You see, there's selective vision when it comes to God. He has His purpose and He has His will and He has His plan for each person. And you can be right in the room when something magnificent happens. That doesn't mean that God doesn't have a plan for you. But we see nothing about these men after they drop them off in Damascus. They go on. They're done. They're done. That's for God to take care of. That's for God to deal with. Jesus' purpose in the moment was strictly for Paul. God's timing is perfect in the midst of different outcomes. God's providential role in our faith is according to His will. I want you to capture these last two points. God's providential role in our faith is according to His will. And there will be times where His selective interaction with us, there will be individuals that come up after this message and say, Pastor, the music was great. Pastor, Chris's testimony was phenomenal. Thanks, it was a good Sunday. What? What happened to the message? Oh yeah, um, I fell asleep a couple times, but it was, I like that one thing that you said, you know, about uh, horses or something. I didn't say anything about horses. Oh, uh, well, I, maybe it was last week. That's okay. Because the next week, that very next person can come up and just say, Oh my goodness, you were preaching right at me, Pastor. I said, I know, because your wife called me and I know all the things that are going on. No, I, I don't know any of those things. I don't know any of that stuff. God's providential role in others' faith is according to His will as well. We desire so strongly that people share the same understanding of Jesus Christ. That is not to be apologized for. 
When you have something so beautiful, so life-fulfilling, why would you not want others to have that? But folks, we have to understand that everybody's in process, right? And it requires more than just us sharing the gospel. It requires us sharing the gospel, and it requires us living it out, because day after day after day, Chris is seeing the changes that are happening in Jess. It was a testimony to him day after day after day, and that kept him paying attention. That kept him paying attention. Unmitigated, that's just such a, that's like a words with friends, 10-point word right there. Unmitigated suffering has a far reach. Verse 4 and verse 16, let's look at it. Verse 4 is um, Jesus speaking to Paul. It says, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then go down to verse 16. Look at what happens. See, Jesus is being persecuted there, and he's questioning Saul about why he's doing it. But look at what happens as a result of, of God's intended will and plan for Saul. Right? Now he's conversing with Ananias, and we'll get to that in just a minute. But it, Ananias doesn't want any of it. And he says, Ananias, I have a whole plan for Saul. And if you don't participate in this, then how am I going to get this done? And so here's the plan, and there's something interesting about the end of this plan. Listen to this. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. What? Not a great marketing plan. You mean there's suffering when you, when you get into a relationship with Jesus? Yeah, Jesus himself said, unless we're willing to take up our cross and follow him. We cannot be his disciples. And this is where America struggles the most because we have so much. We know nothing about suffering. We know suffering when someone in our family contracts cancer or when we lose a job. And, you know, we get that part. But we don't understand suffering that's going on around the world with our brothers and sisters who in the midst of that suffering can rejoice. And yet so many of us, in our own particular suffering, that's our lot. And our lot, we have the choice to understand that Christ can walk us through this. A couple points under this. Paul's persecution against the church was felt by Jesus. Remember that when we have a bad habit of sometimes not getting along within the church. Let's be mindful of that. Paul would in turn suffer for Jesus. Not just because of what he had done. And I, I don't think it's reflective of that at all. It's just that's a universal thing. But for Paul specifically, he would suffer much. And you'll see as we get into the text, we start seeing the life of Paul, how much that actually plays out. But here's my capstone on this thought today when it comes to why is it hard to believe. It's kind of hard to believe if you know that you're going to be called to suffer, isn't it? And Chris and I were talking about this this week, and, and you think about some of you are athletes, and, and you went that route, and you went for tryouts, and... I remember in college, and I would be down in L.A., where visibility during that time in, in late August was about a quarter of an inch, right? And, and you're just you're practicing two-a-days in this kind of heat, and you're just dying. You're dying. And it's not just two-a-days. It's you're going up hills like over here on Eagle Peak, and you got someone on your back. And you got to go back down, and you got to do it again, and you got to, and that's and that's before you even start getting in and scrimmaging and working plays. And you're just exhausted, and, and and as a 19 year old, 20 year old, all you think about 
is just getting back to your dorm room with the air conditioning on and laying in bed and not moving until the next practice session. Why on earth would you do that? You know why? Because being part of that team and being part of the successes and being part of the joy of that game is worth it. We choose to suffer all the time for things we think are worth it. Can I just encourage you that a life with Jesus Christ is worth the suffering that he asks of us. Amen? Amen. Unmitigated suffering has a far reach. Serving takes courage. So here we shift. We get away from Saul and we go to this man Ananias. Now this is fascinating because here you have this Huge major change, and yet the way that God chooses to reveal Himself in, in this passage, the way Luke writes it down, you've got a situation where he talks about this guy. We don't have any other recollection of him. He's a saint that may have escaped Jerusalem. We don't know, but he's in Damascus. He knew who Saul was. That's why I think he probably came from Jerusalem. He probably was connected to the church that had escaped up to Damascus. And let's look at it real quick. Um, what did I say? Verses 10... 10 through 18. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to a street called Straight at the house of Judas. Look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. You think Jesus has a plan for people? You couldn't get any more. He might as well just said, turn left after Joe's shawarma shop. You know, I mean, it couldn't, that's the only way it could have gotten more specific. Does he have to use Ananias? No. Now watch. Watch what happens. Serving, my friends, takes courage. Chris getting up here, conquering over that fear of proclaiming Christ, that took courage. Amen? For us to go share Christ with people that we don't think necessarily deserve it, that takes courage. Listen. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem, and here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. Jesus, are you nuts? You know who this guy is, right? In the papers he's carrying, this is impending doom you're asking me to do. How many of us are signing up for this? Let alone, do I even think this guy's deserving of it? But there's a funny thing that happens when God speaks specifically to you, when Jesus speaks specifically to you. Now, it's interesting, Jesus is patient. He allows Ananias to what? Verbalize what's on his heart. He allows the struggle. But look at what happens. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings of the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And And so Ananias does everything that he was supposed to do. And that's the last we ever hear of Ananias. You, in God's plan, may be that Ananias. Sometimes we, we, we look at characters like Paul and we think, oh, I should be more like Paul, I should be more like Paul. Sometimes there is just this singular moment that God uses in a tremendous way that works out His will so all of the church benefits. Look at what happened because Ananias obeyed and had to what? Had to serve 
with courage. Jesus calls many to go to an unpopular task. Have you ever been in that position? If not, you probably are going to end up there at some point in time. If he calls you to go, he's going to provide for you just like he did for Ananias. But lastly, I want you to hold on to this. One single act of obedience which changed the course of the gospel. You know what? Ananias' kids, grandkids, great-grandkids, whomever they are, they can point to him and say, he was the guy God called on to go pray over Saul. And because of that anointing, because of that courage in the moment, just one singular moment that God asked him to do something insane probably inspired the entire church and helped propagate the proliferation of the gospel across the Mediterranean seaboard. Just one action. So why is it so hard to believe? Because sometimes you're asked to respond in courage. But there's an ultimate, in wrapping up today, there's an ultimate answer to all of this. How hard is it to believe? It's impossible to believe. It's impossible to believe. There's only one way that we can believe, and so I take you back to these five points. And as you look at these and you say, well, okay, Pastor Jeremy, you are a brilliant man, and those are brilliant points, and, you know, what have we truly solved today? Let me help you out. There really is only one way that someone believes. Did you catch that? Look at the screen. Oh, come on. That was really tricky. I was really excited about how it all played out. I had to go find those words to make this work, guys. Thank you. Yeah, I guess I do. The point is, is there's one way to believe, and it's Jesus. Why did Paul change from his stubborn, justified thinking? Because he encountered Jesus. Why did Ananias strike out and do something that took immense courage? Because of Jesus. Why are you going to take the gospel and live according to the light of Christ? Because of one thing. Amen. Let me close in prayer this morning. As I do so, I encourage you, as we wrap up, just looking for something here. As we wrap up today, um, if you're visiting with us, please go ahead and, and uh, fill out one of those cards. Drop it in the box as you're leaving today. Um, we're excited about next week. Don't miss next week. Bring some friends. I think this was a pretty good week, right? How about that men's group? You know, we just asked those guys. That's point five, right? We asked those guys on Thursday. Hey, guys, would you come up and sing? No practice, right? Absolutely. And Jay asked me, you know, right before we finished practice this morning. Well, we did have a practice, but it wasn't real practice. But Jay's like, can I raise my hand and praise Jesus? During yeah. Yeah, you can, brother. He says, because a song like this, we need to do that. Amen. Amen. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Right? This morning, let me close in prayer, and then I'll send us off with a benediction. God, today, thank you for the glory of your name. Thank you for the plan that you have. Thank you that when we encounter your Son, even though it's unique in different ways, it's always the same message. 
but it's unique for each person. That, Father, then suddenly, as we're moving on in our stubborn mind and our stubborn process, Father, you reveal to us that we do need you. We do need you. And we come into a, a, a right way of thinking with you. And there's such a personal interaction with that that far surpasses anything that, that we experience around us. And so we say thank you. We praise you for your son's work on the cross. I pray for all those that are here and if there's anyone today that has yet to have that encounter that Damascus Road or maybe the, the Ethiopian encounter, whatever it would be, just the encounter with your son Jesus so that that light of Christ comes into their life, I pray that your spirit opens their hearts and, and if this is that time that, that you reveal that. Thank you, God. Walk with us this week. Lead us to points of courage like Ananias. Lead us to points of understanding and care and compassion for the world around us take our offerings today father use them for your glory thank you for the sustained ministry of this church and for those that help support it um, bless those who um, are giving today to you be all glory father amen